0: Section 21 of Our Search for a Wilderness by Mary Blair B. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. April 1st. Having missed finding trumpeters yesterday, Francis promised them for today, and we took a long tramp full of incident as usual. We circled to the north, swinging around beyond the first two valleys, and then turning and describing a second curve intersecting the first two of the jungle wrens or quadrille birds sang their incomparable strains each with a theme of its own the first had two phrases which it uttered alternately thus There is absolutely no other bird song with which to compare it. The timber, when heard at a distance, is that of the wood thrush quality, sweet, liquid, and altogether ethereal. But the distinctness of the notes and the remarkably intricate trios and gradations are wholly unique. Three or four large species of ant-birds ran rapidly here and there, holding their short-tails erect and jerking them frequently, thus presenting a decidedly railine appearance. We saw several little tinamous in the course of the day, one of which I shot. When the cook cleaned it in the evening, he found an egg about to be laid. Several days later, a short distance from the clearing, a bird of this species was flushed from a slight hollow between the buttresses of a mora, The following day, when the bird flew from the same spot, it was found that an egg had been deposited. It was of a burnished purple color and was 35 by 45 millimeters in size. Although we knew that the egg had been laid less than 24 hours before, yet it contained an embryo corresponding to a four-day chick. This fact, in the case of these generalized birds, may have some significance when we remember the advanced state of embryonic development characterizing the new-laid eggs of many reptiles. After an hour or more of the most careful stalking in a low swampy valley, we heard the unmistakable thunderings of trumpeters or waracabras, and my blood leaped in response. Long before I could hear them, Francis had distinguished the low booming note amid all the other jungle sounds i had studied specimens for months in the north and had searched in vain for any definite account of their habits and now although the briefness of my stay would permit of almost no chance for real investigation yet here at any rate were the birds themselves in their native haunts at last we flushed two which flew down from their perch with a sudden whirr of wings and ran swiftly out of sight. As they flew, they uttered the familiar check check. These interesting birds have no near relations but form a suborder by themselves. They run very swiftly but seldom use their wings, and although they swim quite well, rivers of any size are never crossed. Large flocks are sometimes met with but the birds travel more often in small parties. They feed on the ground and roost in the tall trees. The voice has many variations, but the sound from which the name is derived is very loud and sonorous and can be heard at a great distance. Trumpeters are very common pets among the Indians, to whom they become greatly attached and although given full liberty in the midst of the dense bush, they never attempt to return to their former homes. When standing upright, the trumpeter reaches a height of from 18 to 20 inches. The head and neck are black and covered with soft velvety feathers, about a quarter of an inch in length, and slightly recurved. On the upper part of the breast and the lower part of the neck a purplish iridescence appears on the feathers, while the rest of the plumage is entirely black, with the exception of a brownish band across the back and the grayish plume-like secondaries. The tail is very soft and does not exceed four inches in length, and is indeed hidden by the wing feathers. I made careful inquiry concerning the nesting of the common trumpeter, so-called biographers have credited it with nesting on the ground or in a hole high up a tree laying from two to ten or more eggs which in the words of the describers are white dirty white or green i questioned francis at various times and could never get him to vary his answers he said that the trumpeter nested in the hollow of a tree and laid three four or five white eggs on another occasion i questioned the indian who hunted for mr nicholson at matope and he said the waracabra builds a nest of leaves well up in a tree and lays five white eggs while waiting for the trumpeters we heard the strange bare-headed katinga or calf bird the note has been compared to the lowing of a cow but to me it seemed much more musical resembling the humming of a goblet when one's moistened finger is rubbed around the rim the bird is yellowish brown with a bare head and keeps to the tops of the trees it is not shy however and can easily be approached and watched with the glass the most interesting discovery i made today was the elaborate courtship and challenge performance of the crested curassow. In a low bit of valley with thick underbrush, we put up a deer which dashed off before we could catch more than a glimpse of it. It was followed by two agoutis, one of which we gathered in for dinner. The note of alarm of these rodents is a loud nasal. Then Francis clutched my arm, and by listening intently, I could just hear a faint low mumbling it might have been a bumble-bee a few feet away but the indian pointed to the east and said powies waracabras migo shootum laba which very plainly meant that there were curassows and trumpeters near me and that he would leave me to stalk and study them while he went to secure a toothsome paka for dinner i cached my gun in fact everything but my glasses and began creeping as silently as possible down the course of the little valley francis quietly amused smiled as i tied my handkerchief tenderfoot fashion to my gun expressing quite as much as a multitude of chafing remarks could have done foot by foot i pushed through or crawled under fallen trees and tangled vines and tree ferns close to the hot steaming forest mould with the low, distant booming becoming ever more distinct. The ventriloquial quality completely deceived me, and long after I thought to see the performer, I went on and on for many yards. At last I turned to the south to gain the shelter of a great fallen tree, which had begun to merge its rotten wood with the debris of the jungle floor. I shall never forget pushing aside a mass of beautiful green orchids, and slipping into a great hollow made by a second tree which had fallen athwart the first. Just beyond were three crested curassows, a male and two females, the latter busy scratching among the dead leaves, while the male was devoting himself to a most remarkable performance. The splendid bird walks slowly up and down the clear space which he has chosen. The entire body is tilted far forward, the breast low and the wings pointing down in front, the wrist portion or shoulder, as it is often wrongly called, dropping almost to the ground. The wing tips lie flat upon the back and the tail is raised, while the head is held high almost touching the back and tips of the wings. The tail carrying out the line of the back points straight upward, and the white belly, flanks, and especially the under-tail coverts are fluffed out to their greatest extent, forming a most conspicuous white mark against the black of the remaining plumage. Now from a tree nearby comes a low, penetrating moan or muffled boom the bird in front of me at once changes his whole demeanor he continues his walking but it assumes more of a mincing character uttering all the while several notes like low but shrill squeaks or gurgles mingled with snorts and snores all rather subdued these seem rather hit or miss there being no regular sequence or similarity of the utterances several times these sounds are interrupted by the bird stopping appearing to pick up something and then to dash its head violently against its back producing a low champing sound which seems to excite the females who otherwise are wholly indifferent try as i may i can make nothing of this action and later it is an indiscreet, impatient movement of mine at such a juncture that ultimately frightens the birds and ends my observations. I was delighted, therefore, when observing the curacao in the north, to see the bird repeatedly pick up pebbles or a feather or twig and champ them in its bill just as the wild bird did. The clicking sound resulted only when a hard object was picked up, but the dull fuds were made by the skull of the bird striking violently against its dorsal vertebrae the object it had picked up being held meanwhile in its bill the wild curassow soon drops whatever it has picked up and claps its wings together seven or eight times over its back making a loud slapping sound it then turns its back on its rival in the tree plucks nervously at the wings, right and left, for a full minute or longer, and then reaches convulsively forward several times with its head and neck, the bill being wide open, gulping in a great quantity of air. Its abdominal air sacs swell. Its wings are lowered and rounded out until the bird appears half as large again as usual. Thus it stands, half squatting, with lowered head and tail, and within a period of five to ten seconds utters usually four notes of the deepest and most penetrating character. Now that I am within a few yards, they sound no louder than when several hundred yards away. The exertion put forth shows this vocal effort to be a strenuous one, and at the second performance the tones are rather low and confused. But the normal utterance this climax of the whole challenge is as follows this may be imitated by any one with a deep bass voice by humming the syllables um, um 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 to the notes as i have written them during this period the actor as observed in the captive specimen seems almost in a trance, standing with half-closed eyes, oblivious even of a hand resting on the feathers of his back, and the recovery is slow, the bird seeming dazed for a short time. As I lay concealed in the Guiana forest, the whole performance was repeated five times in twelve minutes, the curacao appearing most excited after it had finished the challenge call it frequently ran to the hens and walked about them while the captive bird which i observed paid no attention to the hens but showed off to human visitors and devoted himself to attacks upon their footwear no part of the performance was ever omitted invariably he turned his back on his rival or observer invariably he first walked and snorted then champed and clapped his wings and finally sent out his challenge. As I have said, one may closely imitate this call, and the birds, as I learned on another occasion, will respond to repeated calls and come within shooting distance. Taken altogether, the performance was a most delightful insight into the lives of these little known birds, and the complexity and intricate succession of the various maneuvers was remarkable. As I have said, at one of the pebble-challenging periods, I became so interested that I made a noise, and three birds rose at once and whirred away, while I retraced my steps. I returned as carefully as possible, and encountered a troop of small monkeys, which passed close overhead, sending down a rain of dead twigs. They apparently have the habit of breaking off twigs when they are progressing leisurely as I observed this same unnecessary amount of falling twigs and branches on several other occasions. When thus engaged, they make a great racket, uttering now and then plaintive, inarticulate sounds. When once they spy you beneath them, a sudden chorus arises like the greatly exaggerated swearing of a red squirrel, and off they go rapidly, silently, with not a sound of breaking branches. Finding a good point of vantage not far from my gun and bag, I waited for Francis, squatting, coolie fashion, out of respect to the bete Rouge, which were numerous and enthusiastic at this point. I sat there five minutes, and not a moment was devoid of interest. I accidentally snapped a stick, and like an electric spark, came a sharp zzz at my very elbow. I jumped as if an electric shock had indeed accompanied it and then broke another stick. Again the zzzz snapped in answer, and close to my resting place I discovered a six o'clock bee, as the natives call these giant cicadas, cicada grossa. Like the curassow, he was on the qui for rivals and ready with his challenge. As often as I snapped a stick, he whirred out an answer a pair of blue and yellow macaws screamed when heard in the distance all harshness is eliminated from their voices and an extremely human quality of sound is acquired as of one person calling in a high tone to another a green cacique whirred overhead tolled his cowbell and strutted with slow elaborateness suddenly a pair of trumpeters came into view but saw me at the same instant and with loud chacks fled in all haste going on to our meeting place i almost stepped on francis who had been quietly watching me and resting after having returned with a load of game we struck the broken twig trail on which we secured the old howling monkey yesterday and a few hundred yards from the spot we heard the young male roaring he had improved wonderfully on his falsetto yell of yesterday and except for a general weakness of volume and an occasional break and tendency to get out of breath he made a good showing in the vocal gymnastics of his race twice after this we ran across the youngster and each time he was howling but entirely alone he had not yet secured a mate and his mother and aunt had apparently deserted him upon his assumption of leadership. A half-hour's walk close to the clearing this afternoon revealed birds everywhere in flocks passing leisurely. Small woodpeckers were tapping, wood hewers picking and prying, ant birds peering under leaves and twigs, and the flycatchers audibly snapping up insects in midair. The jungle was filled with dee dee ds chirps, jacks, low mewings and whistles, while a rain of falling leaves, ripe berries, dead twigs, and bits of bark marked the progress of the flocks. I shot a number of birds which were new to me, one of which I could not find until ten minutes' search. When I discovered it, a line of ants five yards long had formed, and it was covered with their bodies. So swiftly do tropical scavengers work i secured a wedge-billed wood woodhewer with its single young one which must have left the nest that very day curiously enough the latter perched as often as it clung to the tree trunks and keeping this in mind i found that the measurements of the two birds were very interesting there was almost no difference between the length of the wings and beaks of parent and young but the tail of the young bird was only one and seven sixteenths inches in length, as compared with four and three-fourths inches in the adult. From this it appears that the climbing habit is not developed as early in the young wood hewer as in woodpeckers, in which it seems instinctive from the first. Resting my camera for a moment against the buttress of a giant mora, a small brown bird flew out, and i recognized another wedge-billed pygmy wood-hewer it flew to a sapling and peered at me around the side when i did not move away it came nearer and voiced its disapproval by a five-syllabled cry chick 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 this made me suspicious and peering down a narrow crevice formed by a deep fold in the buttress i caught a glint of white and finally made out three eggs one of which seemed to be freshly broken. A safer or cozier place could not be imagined. The crevice was 18 inches deep and only two inches wide, with the opening of the fold almost closed by a small dangling bush rope. The nest itself was only two feet above the ground. The eggs were pure white and were laid on a thin network of rootlets and fibers, RESTING ON THE BLACK MOLD WHICH HAD COLLECTED IN THE CREVICE. THE FOLLOWING DAY IT TOOK ME TWO HOURS OF HARD WORK, CUTTING AND SAWING, TO REACH THE NEST, AND WHEN Milady LADY SPOONED UP NEST AND EGGS, FOUR GOOD-SIZED SCORPIONS CAME WITH THEM. UNPLEASANT GUESTS, I SHOULD THINK. THERE WERE TWO EGGS IN THE NEST, AND A BROKEN ONE ON THE GROUND OUTSIDE, WHICH THE PARENT HAD REMOVED THE NIGHT BEFORE. The egg had probably been broken by the hurried flight of the parent on the preceding day. The eggs were a broad oval in shape, dull white, and both measured 20 by 16 millimeters. Four other pairs of birds were nesting on this side of the clearing. Yellow winged honey creepers, jungle wrens, two pair of white-throated robins, and a guiana quail or dora quara. This last I found wholly by accident, as I was watching a dragonfly which had been injured by a small flycatcher. Good-sized pieces were bitten out of the two hind wings, and one of the others was doubled and broken. Yet the brave little insect was far from giving up, and had managed to fly slowly, albeit with a heavy slant to one side, the loose wing making a whizzing sound as it vibrated. I followed to see its ultimate fate. As it passed the end of a log, a green lizard leaped from a leaf and seized the unfortunate insect in mid-air, thus typifying the anlaga of bird flight. The lizard fell full length upon a rounded pile of dead leaves, and like a bomb there shot forth the whirring form of the quail, which scaled off between the trees. We found the dura quara had rocketed from a tunnel about a foot in length made of twigs and dead leaves, which led to a round, hidden nest cavity containing four white eggs, one of which was broken. On the following day, the quail had removed all trace of broken egg and shell. So completely was the nest a part of the jungle floor that never, except by accident, would we have discovered it day after day on every tramp we took we were more and more impressed with the myriad examples of protective form and coloration as i have said before it is the immense variety rather than the exactness of detail which makes these resemblances so effective i became so confused at times that repeatedly i would net a falling leaf or blossom Or even fire at an imaginary bird or on the other hand fail altogether to notice some rare bird or insect until I passed on some distance and happened to turn around for instance while walking along I saw something drift down and catch on a leaf I thought to myself this is surely an insect although a most remarkable mimic then I bent over and examined it closely lifting the branch close to my eyes and decided it was nothing but a dead leaf half curled and shrivelled up as i turned away i swooped at it idly with my net and lo it took to flight and cost me several yards of hard pursuit before i secured it again the irregularity of its wings their leaf-brown color edged with a line of yellow and the remarkable drifting flight in full sunshine all helped to deceive me it was a moth gonodonta pirgo the gold birds although the size of large thrushes are absolutely indistinguishable in their garb of dull brown in the shadowy mid forest neither descending to the ground nor ascending to the sunlit treetops almost as common as the piercing whee whee oh of the gold-birds was a less loud but penetrating chuckle-dee-dee which we heard almost as soon as we entered the shadows of the jungle three days of intermittent search passed before we discovered the author of this omnipresent sound the notes seemed to come from the tree tops, and we unconsciously held in our mind a bird at least the size of the gold-bird imagine our surprise when After searching the branches with aching necks, we finally detected the bird in the very act, finding it perched only about ten feet above our heads. It was a veritable mite of a bird, the golden-crowned manikin, clad in forest green with a tiny crown spot of yellow. From head to tail he measured less than three inches, and of all the marvels which we have encountered in our travels, The most remarkable was how such a tiny creature, considerably smaller than our own ruby-crowned kinglet, could produce such a tremendous volume of sound. His chuckle-dee-dee can easily be heard a hundred yards away through the dense forest. Once identified, it was an easy matter to locate these little mannequins. They loved the deep, damper parts of the woods and were ridiculously tame perching quietly and calling continuously when one walked around within arm's reach we discovered the nest of one of these birds a short distance from the mine clearing in a sapling about seven feet from the ground a very frail affair suspended in the fork of a branch it was merely a thin cup of fine bush threads and rootlets while two or three small leaves were fastened to the bottom with strands of cobweb. One could see through it anywhere. It was only one and three-fourths inches across and three-fourths of an inch deep inside the cup. The bird was on the nest and refused to leave until we lifted her off and photographed her. Then she flew and chuckled dee with all her little power. While insects were far from rare in the jungle itself, they were present in myriads in the little fallen tree clearings blue morphos flashed in and out of the thickets while white spotted clicking ones snapped back and forth in the darker recesses the transparent ghost butterflies flew silently and almost invisibly while heliconias threaded the vines giant bees buzzed past now and then one which i caught was an inch and a half long with tremendously thick and hairy hind legs an orange collar across the front of the thorax and an equally broad band of yellow on the abdomen centis americana among the most interesting birds which we found nesting were dusky parrots about one hundred yards from the clearing we observed two red-breasted parrots fly from a hole about forty feet up in a tall dead kakarali tree we watched the tree morning and afternoon for several days often for an hour at a time but never saw nor heard anything of the birds fearing that we had been deceived in thinking they were nesting we had a black cut down the tree but no sooner had the dust settled from the debris of rotten wood than a chorus of raucous cries arose And four young parrots, nearly fledged, were gathered into a hat. The quartet showed an interesting sequence of growth, there being several days difference between each one. The youngest was clad only in quill-like blood feathers. Number two had the scapulars, part of the crown, the breast, and a half inch of the tail feathers out of the sheath. Number three was pretty well feathered, except for face, throat, under wings and sides while number four was to all intents and purposes a real parrot the way in which the old birds kept hidden was remarkable one day milady and i started out with only the lay of the land and a compass for guide and walked straight toward that unknown region lying to the northwest a whole chapter could be written of our observations on that single tramp But i shall keep our notes for future work on the natural history of this region and add to this already too lengthy account only a few paragraphs we saw many lavender jays restless and numerous yet curious to know what manner of beings we were their alarm note accompanied us for a long distance later in the morning we spent some time watching a dense line of parasol ants they were as gay as fifth avenue on Easter Sunday being laden with the purple and white blossoms of some forest tree. The broad wavering banners interspersed with those insects which bore stamens and pistils lance-like presented a most humanly comical appearance. The tiny creatures are so serious and in such a hurry and yet look so tipsy and political that one never tires of watching them black clouds and a high wind overtook us, and we walked rapidly on, looking for some sort of shelter. We were lucky enough to discover a huge tree, hollow even to the center of the buttresses, and this we made our headquarters during the storm. From each of four natural windows we watched the jungle life during the rain. A small patch of the black caterpillars was nearby on a light-barked tree, or reacting or not, according to whether we ejaculated s or bzz. As before, they were very conspicuous and made no attempt at concealment, although at a distance they resembled a black knot hole on the trunk. But their role was evidently to depend on their threatening actions and their even more reliable stinging hairs. On the very floor of our shelter, a tragedy was enacted. A small wasp, notogonia species less than an inch in length with a splash of gilt on thorax and head dashed upon a brown cricket grillus argentinus more than twice its size and stung it then the wasp left its prey and ran off about eight inches to a round hole which it had excavated in the black wood mould back to the cricket again it came turned it right side up seized it by the head and began to drag it along although i can hardly credit the wasp with the conscious intention yet its sting had certainly been delivered in exactly the right spot the whole cricket was paralyzed except for the two front pair of legs the motor nerves of these were unaffected and they kept up a convulsive pulling and pushing which aided the wasp greatly in its difficult task indeed the wasp did little but straddle its prey and steer while the cricket pushed itself along just before the latter disappeared still kicking into the hole the wasp stung it again and laid a small curved white egg on one of the hind legs of the cricket the hole was just the right bore to admit the body of the victim and was six inches deep as soon as the sun came out huge metallic buprestid beetles boomed about the trunk and the wood-hewers began their sweet scale songs and close over our heads a tiny golden-crowned manikin joined in with his chuckle-dee-dee the effort almost lifting him from his perch in offering these notes on the jungle life about the aremu clearing i have purposely refrained from classifying them as I wish the reader to realize how, in this region of superabundant life, events crowd in upon one insect, bird, flower, animal without apparent rhyme or reason, yet they really pass in splendid sequence, the key to which lies in the ultimate relation of each to the other. Some day, if we do not delay until the destroying hand of man is laid over this whole region, we may hope partially to disentangle the web then instead of a seeming tangle of unconnected events all will be seen in their real perspective the flower adapted to the insect the insect hiding from this or that enemy the bird showing off its beauties to its mate or searching for its particular food these things can never be learned in a museum or zoological park or by naming a million more species of organisms, we must ourselves live among the creatures of the jungle and watch them day after day, hoping for the clue as to the why, the everlasting why of form and color, action and life. End of section 21. End of chapter 10.